A Noble Experiment by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 6, Brady, Von Grunkle, and a Murder in Indianapolis. You heard what I told you the other night, said Bob Coffey to his assistant, Sergeant Larry Stingler. He'll do anything to nail Von Grunkle, and I'm using his own words. I've always told you, Colonel, your friend Brady goes to the extremes, said the stocky Stingler. No, it used to be that he was just persistent, hard-working, but now he's obsessive, under a great deal of pressure. Why he keeps after Von Grunkle is beyond me. True, said Stingler. The doctor has done nothing illegal. You helped me check out some of those stories from back in 59 and 60, but Brady could never nail Von Grunkle. All those alleged payments to the ciders, another Brady lie. Well, we don't know it was a lie. More like a reasoned suspicion. But he never should have printed it. Maybe he thought he'd somehow crack Von Grunkle, I don't know. And this latest thing up in Tobin Falls. The landing has been vindicated by the nemesis of Bill Brady, Olin Von Grunkle. It's made all of Brady's years of reporting look ludicrous. No wonder Brady is tired and grasping for straws, said Coffee. He picked up the telephone and started dialing. What are you calling, Colonel? said Stingler, frowning. I'm calling him. I want to see what happened to him the other night, said Coffee. After all, he never came back to his seat at Von Grunkle's presentation. A trusted friend you are, said Stingler with a mischievous grin. Coffee listened as the operator came over the line. I'm sorry, MR83192 has been disconnected. Disconnected? How? Why? I'm sorry, sir. It was just disconnected. Well, that's a fine how do you do, said Coffee, setting down the telephone. Disconnected? What do you know? mumbled Stingler. Probably didn't pay his bill, Bob. Coffee took out his address book and dialed the operator. She connected him with the Chicago Enterprise and Times, Extension 1, the editor's office. Mr. Jackson's office, Miss Dugan speaking. Yes, Miss Dugan, this is Colonel Robert Coffey. I'm calling long distance from Washington, D.C. I'd like to speak to Mr. Jackson. One moment, please, Colonel. I don't understand this at all, said Coffey, cupping his hand over the mouthpiece. That Brady, he's probably going... Said Jackson on the other end. Tom, how are you? Still a little stunned, as we all are, I guess. Confessed Jackson. Stunned? <laughs> Laughed Coffee. What's the matter, the paper going under? Yeah, you don't know, do you? You really don't know. Well, what's the mystery, Tom? Bob, Bill Brady's being sought by the FBI, state, and local police. For what? Demanded Coffee as Stingler left the room. Valued at $3.2 million, resisting arrest, damage of private property, and murder, Bob. Murder? shouted Coffee. He leaped to his feet. Murder? I don't believe it. I just don't believe it, Tom. Calm down, Bob. Bill shot some underworld character named Salvatore Bishop. He and his brother run the rackets up here. Anyway, Bill owed them over $30,000. What I've been able to gather, they must have forced him to do those things. I mean, I can't even remotely Bill getting involved with the likes of Bishop. He's a little excessive, but he knows the difference between right and wrong. Tom, where is he? In jail? The cops claim he left the scene.
Marge. They checked the dumping station that night, but there was no sign of Bill. My God, Tom, I still can't believe this. Tom, you'll have to call me the minute you hear anything. Tell him I'll arrange for any legal fee for his defense. Well, that's nice of you, Bob, and I'll tell him if I ever hear from him again. But the paper's already looked into the charges with our legal staff. Doesn't look very promising. They could, with a great deal of luck, get him off on lesser charges. But murder could mean a manslaughter charge at the minimum. It doesn't look good. No, I should say not, said the befuddled coffee. And there's the rumor that's all over town. Bishop's brother, Sidney, has put out the word on Brady. If Bill should call you, Bob, she's telling me he's safer with the authorities. Of course, Tom, said Coffee, pinching the bridge of his nose. I have to sort this thing out, Tom. I understand, Bob. I'll get back to you, and if he calls you... I'll call you right away. Good, said Coffee. And I'll be talking to you later. Goodbye, Bob. Goodbye, Tom, said Coffee. He set down the telephone once again and stared in shock across the room. In the other office, to the rear, Stingler gently put down the receiver of the extension back on the hook. He stood quietly and slinked from the room. Once in the corridor, he ran to the staircase, opened the door, and leaped several steps at a time down three flights of stairs. When he entered the basement corridor, he went directly to a set of telephone booths in the shadows. Operator. Station to station call to Mr. Olin von Grunkel, Palace Inn, Frankfort, Kentucky. Number is JU-71134, room 85. Stingler lit a cigarette as he waited. Palace Inn. Dr. Olin von Grunkel, please, room 85. One minute, please, said the desk clerk as Stingler inhaled. 85, this is Gunther Stein. Gunther, it's Larry. Put Ole on at once. Asked Gunther. Washington, now put him on, Gunther. Stingler puffed on the cigarette until it was bright red in the basement darkness. He exhaled slowly as Von Grunkel came on the line. Larry, what can I do for you? Ollie, sensational news. Oh? It's Brady. The authorities are after him. For what? Stolen jewels, heroin transportation, and a number of other things, including murder. Right. He killed the brother of that mobster, Sidney Bishop. Where is Brady now? No one knows. But Larry, I'd say our lives have been made considerably easier now. And you know what this means to our business dealings. It means smooth sailing, Ollie. Smooth sailing right ahead. It was a little past four o'clock on Friday, July 19th, 1963, in Boise, Idaho. Two days out of Chicago and a number of car rides later, Brady and Lorna had arrived in Boise, checking into a motel outside the city. Brady sat on a chair next to the bed, writing in his notebook at a furious pace, trying to recapture all the facts of the last few weeks. July 19, 1963, Boise, Idaho. I'm convinced that the information given to me by David Todd has indeed a certain relevance. First, Harold Nolte appears to be the unidentified man found murdered in Indianapolis Tuesday afternoon. Nolte, with $3,000 in his pocket at the time of his death, must have been well off. My investigation, however, has poised additional questions. I visited a Mr. Schwartz at the retail outlet where David Todd said he saw Nolte working. 
Nolte did work there, but he was hardly well off, receiving $60 a week. And he only worked there for a short time, a matter of days, according to Mr. Schwartz. Schwartz was kind enough to give me Nolte's previous employer, Console Trucking, 667 South Main Street in Boise. This is the strange part. Nolte worked as a truck driver for Console for 28 years. He left Console on December 9, 1962, for no apparent reason. This is why he grasped at the first job, which was at Schwartz's. It gets deeper. Nolte lived in a modest apartment for most of those 28 years, and as of six months ago, he drove a 1952 Buick. Nolte quit the outlet right away. It was at this time he moved into a more affluent section of the city. He purchased a 1963 Buick Electra, a more than modest type of car. All this seems to this reporter to be following a pattern. Nolte was killed, I'm supposing, on orders from Von Grunkel. Nolte must have known something about Von Grunkel. More than likely, he found something out at Console. I assume that Console is probably clear of whatever Von Grunkel is doing, but I can't be sure. And I cannot be sure whether Von Grunkel may have influenced Nolte's decision to leave both jobs. I feel strongly, however, and I've tried to put aside my past prejudices against Von Grunkel, that Nolte was successfully blackmailing Von Grunkel until the dam burst in Indianapolis. Nolte was killed and buried in a pauper's grave in Indianapolis, and Von Grunkel thinks he's in the clear now that Nolte is dead, or so he thinks. I must go to Consul this afternoon and take any steps to find out what Nolte had on Von Grunkel. Perseverance. Lorna looked over his shoulder. When he finished writing, she picked up the pen and scrawled across the top, Brady's Journal. There, she said, setting down the pen. Well, you must have been reading it. What do you think? Well, you're the reporter. Well, you're the 12-year-old with a 40-year-old mind. Well, there could be other explanations. What other explanations? asked Brady, aggravated by her questioning his judgment. It's just that you're so tied up with getting Von Grunkel, you automatically assume that he had something to do with this. Oh, it's obvious, Lorna, replied Brady, standing quickly. I'm going over to console trucking anyways. He picked up his pen and began scribbling on another sheet of paper. What's that? she asked. Bob Coffey's numbers. Top one is his home, bottom is his office. If I'm not back here, he said, looking at his watch, or I haven't called you by seven, you place a call to coffee and read to him what I just wrote in that journal. Brady's journal. Yeah, yeah, Brady's journal. How can I give him the... Just read it, that's all, okay? Now stay here, watch television or something, he said as he picked up his newly laundered suit. I'll be back, he said succinctly, still upset at her doubts. He opened the door and left the motel room. The main office of Consul Trucking was located on the third floor of a white, turn-of-the-century building in the heart of the city. It was nearing five o'clock when Brady stood inside a rising open-air elevator in the center of the building. The operator brought it to a stop and pulled the brass gate open. Brady walked out into a narrow corridor with white hanging lights. At the end was a door with a huge translucent glass sheet with letters, console trucking, stenciled boldly across its surface. He opened the large door. A receptionist looked up from a tiny desk to his left in what appeared to be an outer office. 
Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, answered Brady. We're just getting ready to close, sir, she advised him. Well, I wanted a word with the freight manager concerning uh, overdue claims. He lied most convincingly. Mr. Nelson isn't available at the present time. I can, uh... You mean to tell me that Nelson sent me 50 miles down here for nothing? He told me to come late afternoon. For God's sake, I have to go back to the motel and wait until Monday? No, 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 please, please, she reassured him. I didn't realize that. What is your name, sir? D. Carliano. D. Carliano, Butch D. Carliano. Well, please have a seat there, Mr. Di Carliano, she said as she hurried down a corridor leading to a set of offices. When she closed the door, Brady ran across the room to a supply closet that was next to the filing cabinets. He stuffed his body in between the shelves of adding machine tape and carbon paper. Reaching forward, he pulled the door shut. Despite all that he had gone through, the additional charge of breaking and entering would make little difference but he was still extremely nervous, the sweat beginning to build under his clothes. He knew he must fight to stay in control because a blackout could ruin everything. Butch who? He heard Nelson yell from back. Well, where the hell is he, Gail? He asked, entering the front office. Well, he was just here, Mr. Nelson. He was very upset. He must have gone back to his motel. Well, the hell with him then, blasted Nelson. It's Friday night, in fact... You might as well go yourself, Gail. I should change the tapes on the machines for Monday, she said, sending a shivering wave across the room to the supplies closet, where Brady was already short of breath. No, 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 they can wait. Go home, it's Friday. Very well, he heard her go back to her desk, straighten a few papers, and grab something off the desk. I'll see you on Monday, Gail. He called, and Brady heard his footsteps trickle away into the rear offices. And have a nice weekend. Thank you. Good night. Brady heard glass rattle as the door closed. Now he was tensed, sitting tightly and hoping that Nelson would take his own advice and go home. The freight manager, however, was a diligent worker and kept pounding away at an adding machine, totaling bills and payments somewhere in the rear offices. One hour passed and then two. Brady could not believe that the man was still within the offices of the trucking company. By now, he thought, his muscles cramping, that Warner would have called coffee, and his friend would know as much as he knew. And just as well, he would need Bob coffee when this thing broke wide open. But the overriding pain in his muscles sliced throughout his body, and he wondered just how long he could endure cramped in the closet while the workaholic inside the office went at full pace. Warner was baffled. Fear did not seem to be a part of her makeup. She sat next to the window of the motel room, the curtains wide open to the sun-blazed plains. It was 7.15 and Brady had not contacted her. Something must have gone wrong. He must have been in trouble because of the break-in. She arose and went to the telephone. As she called out the numbers to the operator, she remained calm and waited silently until the call was put through. Coffee was seated behind his desk with his aide Stingler by his side. It was well past ten on the East Coast. They had stayed up late in order to discuss the ceremonies they were having for Von Grunkel. Two congressmen, both old friends, sat in front of him. Bob, said the older member of the House, I don't think it would be prudent for you to present Von Grunkel to the House of Representatives. Why not, Congressman? asked Stingler, equipped with a notepad and pencil. 
Because, Sergeant, for years, Bob was a strong and outspoken critic of the doctor. Come on, we all were, said the younger representative. To tell you the truth, I'm still a little unsure of Von Grunkel. If it wasn't for Tobin Falls... Congressman, you've questioned him and others so many damn times, argued Stingler. Coffee, still distraught by Brady's actions, just sat and observed. Well, that landing, said the older representative, puts all those fool stories out with the rubbish. People look at him as some kind of messiah now, for God's sakes. The pariah who went through all the years was really noble. Well, this is all academic, said Coffee, finally responding. Who's going to present Von Grunkel to Congress? Well, what about the speaker? asked the younger man. No, no, no. They disagreed as the telephone rang. <laughs> Colonel Coffee speaking. You don't know me, Colonel, but I'm calling on behalf of Bill Brady. Coffee's expression drooped quickly. He gazed around the room at the other men, who were still engrossed in their conversation. Swallowing, he spoke into the telephone. Yes, I'd be more than happy to talk with you on that issue, if you will please hold on. Please hold the phone. I will pick up the extension in the other room, said Coffee, putting her on hold. If you gentlemen will excuse me, I'll be be a few minutes. Problem, Bob? The only problem I'll have is when I tell Peg I'm going to work tomorrow. Well, that is a problem, said the older man as they all laughed except Stingler, who kept his eyes trained on Coffee as he left the room. Who the devil is this? asked Coffee as he picked up the extension. I can't tell you that. Aren't you a little young to be... Never mind that, Colonel. You listen to me. Brady is on to something. A murder involving Von Grunkle's organization. Well, can't he speak for himself? He needs a child to speak for him? Do you want to know this or don't you? asked Coffee as he reached for a pencil and paper. Lorna read slowly and directly from the journal as Brady had instructed her. Coffee was silent all the way through, and his first reaction didn't address the Von Grunkle issue. Well, where the hell is he? At that trucking place? Yes. Doesn't he know the extent of the charges against him? I have a mind to call the... Look, Colonel, Brady told me you were the only man he could trust. He may have something here. I don't know. Waiting a few days won't change what happened in Chicago. Very well, if Bill told you that, agreed Coffee, respecting Brady's longtime friendship. What can I do? Just hold this information until Brady gets back. If not, if something happens to him or whatever, you can do what you want. Well, I'm not going after Von Grunkle. The man is close to being a national hero. Now, where can I get a hold of you? Asked Coffee as he heard somebody pick up the extension. Somebody put down the extension. I'll be at my home shortly. Tell him my number is... I've got your number, Colonel. Please keep this to yourself until he gets back to you. You have my word, or you can assure Brady of that, said Coffee. Now, are you sure everything is all right? Yes. Okay. If he needs anything, or you do, you call me right away. We will. Goodbye. Goodbye. Coffee set down the telephone and started to think. It was his opinion that Brady could be grasping at anything just to take Von Grunkle down with him. In fact, far from informing the authorities, Coffey was terrified that his own reputation would be in jeopardy any pronouncement against Von Grunkle. He rose and walked very slowly, still in a pensive mood as he entered his office. 
Bob, we'll have the vice president introduce Von Grunkel. What do you think? What was that, Nick? Let Johnson do the introduction. He's big on space exploration and all that. Yes, that would be good. You look sick, Bob. Phone conversation? No, I guess I'm just a little tired. Getting late, fellas, he replied with a phony grin. Well, we'll leave you to your own misery, said the older man as he rose. Our staffs will be over here at nine. Good, replied Coffee, limply shaking their hands. Larry will bring you downstairs. Take care, Bob. This is going to be an extravaganza without a hitch. Right, said Coffee routinely as they left the office. He sat down behind his desk and took out his tobacco pouch. Stuffing in the tobacco, he anticipated its cherry flavor. His feelings were split as he lit the pipe, puffing briskly. If he sent the police to Boise, Brady would be assured of temporary protection from the mob. But an eventual prison term would leave him wide open. Yet by not acting at all, he could be allowing Brady, whom he deemed unbalanced now, to commit another frenzied act. Coffee knew that underlying this was the fact that he was breaking the law because of a higher law of friendship. Stingler waved goodbye to the men as they walked out of the building and into the night. Quickly, he returned to the offices upstairs. Coffee, smoking a pipe with his briefcase in hand, was preparing to leave. Larry, if you need me, I'll be at home, if you will walk up. By the way, yes, Colonel? When I was on the phone, who picked up on the extension? I didn't see anybody pick up on the extension, Colonel. Oh, okay. All right, I thought I heard something. Colonel, don't look so glum. Our division is going to be increased tenfold because of Tobin Falls and all our salaries just as much, he said as Coffee walked toward the door. Good night, Larry, said Coffee, his mind swarming with other things. Join us next week as a noble experiment by Robert P. Fitton continues. This has been a production of Fitton Theater of the Words.